are the fabulous learning nerds. Cause if you're tired of the old ways of getting it done, you've got the fabulous learning nerds. Scott, Dan, and Abby are making it fun. The best ideas that you've ever heard. So everybody spread the word. They're gonna keep you with turning the fabulous learning nerds. Fabulous learning nerds. Oh yeah! Hey everybody, welcome back to another fantastic episode of your Fabulous Learning Nerds. I'm your host, Scott Schutte, and with us, you love him, Dan Coonrod. Dan the man. Dan. What's up, Scott? How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you, sir? You could say I am fair to Midland. Fair to Midland. I'm just guessing that's what you're going to say. Such a great drop. It yeah. is a great drop. Yeah. It is. Um, how have it things is. been for you in 2022 since the last time we spoke? Uh, so far, so good. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's a bunch of other crazy stuff going on in the world, but in my little pocket and corner of it, pretty good. How about you? You know, I am holding on to peace and calm. Um, and... Uh, the universe is is fighting that, but I'm telling you right now, like as soon as you find your peace <laughs> and calm, Dan, you've got to hold on to it like it's gold. And again, a lot of things will come at you like, ooh, ooh, get anxiety about this, get anxiety about that. And I'm really like, yeah, not today. Kind of not into the anxiety thing. Kind of did it for two years. Like, don't want to do it anymore. So I'm super excited that we can get together. I always love getting, this is my favorite time of the week. Totally my favorite time of the week. Um, so it's great you that know. you're here. Folks, I got some good news and bad news. We'll start with the bad news. And that is Abby Dawson is on vacation here in Chile, Florida. It is going to be a high of 45 degrees today. Not a great day to go to Disney World, but there probably won't be anybody there. So that'll be fine. So she's out. You won't hear her today. But the good news is we got fantastic friend of the show. You love her. Christy Loudon's in the house. One, two, one, two, three, four. Christy! Hello. Christy, how you been? Like, it's been a minute. I know, it has been a minute. That's what I was saying to Dan earlier. Um, It has been a good minute. Like, things have been good. Okay. All right. Well, tell us about the good. I already know a big part of it. So why don't you share with our audience like ma major changes for you? Major changes. December 6th, I started a new job. I'm a learning experience designer for Studio 5, which is a learning and de development firm out of San Francisco. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> All right. So, uh, how has that been? I mean, it's been a short period of time for you. You know, how is it? Oh, I know everybody's really excited. They're really excited. Hold on, quiet, 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 folks. Come on, quiet, quiet. All right. So, um, <laughs> no, right? <laughs> so, how's that been for you? It's been really great. Um, the team is really awesome, and you know, I'm just kind of, I guess it's like a month and a half in now. So, getting things figured out, getting comfortable. I know it'll be a while before I'm super comfortable, but, um, it's been really fun. Well, studio five couldn't have chosen a better rock star to come in there and, and really deliver on some amazing stuff. And we're super proud of you. 
Um, and I can't wait to um, see the value that I know you're going to add to our discussion today. I'm just super excited um, about that, which is great. You know, normally, at least the last few weeks, we've been having some amazing guests on. I mean, absolutely great guests. And I want to thank all of them. They were, they've been great. And we get a lot of feedback about um, the shows and the impact they have and a lot of great stuff. Uh, today, we don't have a gra- uh, guest, but, you know, we've had this email out for a long time ask people we used to beg people to email us and um they never did but today today we actually have a real email folks and um we're gonna go ahead and dive into that email we're gonna talk about it hey it's email time daniel son yes scott would you mind reading the email for us today I guess, since you asked so nicely. All right, I guys. did ask nicely. Thomas writes, you did. Thomas writes, hey, learning nerds. First off, I love what you guys are doing. Your guests have all been interesting and awesome. The discussions have been incredibly thought-provoking and helpful. It's been a genuinely great part of my day when I'm listening in. And Thomas has a question for us. I've always been sensitive to, and it's come up in your great discussion a few times, the idea of understanding how people learn. Most recently, Christy Hewell was discussing how she had to figure out how her own kids learn. It got me thinking about my own workplace and how I'm very interested in figuring out how people learn and try to make available the same information in different formats for those different learning types. But how do you do that in a training setting, virtual or in person? It got me thinking, my personal style of training is very very workshoppy. I do this thing with the folks I'm training in real time. This seems to work for the engineers I work with, but I also wouldn't know if I didn't. How can I intentionally work in a lesson design that my delivery will support different types of learners? Well, thank you, Thomas. That's an amazing email and a really great question. And we're going to go ahead and spend the rest of our time here this morning diving into that question just for you. Uh, we appreciate it and um, encourage anybody else who has questions to go ahead and email us. LearningNerdsCast at gmail.com. If it's an amazing question like this one, we'll certainly get into it. Um, without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into our topic of the week. Topic of the week, how do people learn? How do we design for different learning types? Really great question. Um, We're going to go ahead and pull from the resounding wisdom of uh, the three of us um, and from some folks that I looked up on the interwebs so that we're not not just kind of pulling things from our (laughs) keister. Oh, yeah, for sure, right? Um, You know, so I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to toss this over to you, Dan. Um, You know, what are your thoughts? Like, when you're thinking about Different learning, different learning styles and different learning folks. How do we ensure that we have learning transfer, right? So I think, I mean, that's our role, right? We want to ensure that things mm-hmm. are different and better when we're done. How do we ensure that, that we do that? Oh, man. I, I would say I think right now, um, the best way to think about learning styles uh, is to make fun and engaging learning. And it's kind of a cop-out answer just as we start talking about learning styles, just because I'm not a big proponent of the idea of like visual, auditory, kinesthetic. Like, I think that's a oversimplification 
and Virgin on Myth. Oh, 100%. Like, um, I was listening to the Learning Geeks, and they actually brought this up. They've got a great show. You should check them out. Uh, and they totally myth-busted this idea that there are three different learning styles, folks, that there's um, auditory people who learn from listening and uh, visual people who learn from looking at stuff. And then there's kinesthetic people like they get their hands in it. And there's very little. Actually, there's none. There, there's no research that supports that this is even a real thing. And yet that was one of the things that I learned when I started like, hey, this is really important. Um, and what I've learned is that it's not. It's, I mean, it's something you should keep in mind, but it's certainly not anything that I plan for when I start to design my curricula. You know, I'll, I, I was going to say, I think that this, this, this myth persists because unintentionally it works. Because on the way to building curriculum that is visually stimulating, has a listening engagement, is something where they can interact and read and write and a touch, a kinesthetic feel, you you will create engaging content. And so people go, oh, well, I've matched all my learning styles and my learners are doing better. So obviously it's because I'm hitting the visual learners, I'm hitting the auditori auditorial learners, auroral learners, I don't know the word, uh, reading and writing learners and your kinesthetic. I, I think it's less that and more they've created good and engaging content. Mm-hmm. Christy, what do you think? I have so many thoughts. Um, you know, I'm coming from teaching, like teaching high school English originally. Um, and so this was a constant for us, right? Like how I have 30 kids in this classroom, how am I meeting their needs, et cetera. Um, and so that myth of learning styles persisted for quite a while. I'd say it's just been in the last couple of years that it's been kind of debunked. Um, but another reason I think to, to add on to what Dan just said about it persisting because it does create engaging learning experience. It also, I think, persists because we do have preferences, right? Like mm -hmm. I prefer to learn by reading. That's, that's just the way that works best for me. My husband prefers to learn through video. So I think when we're creating, we have a kind of a bias towards that. Like, well, if I prefer to learn by reading, then others probably do too, but then other people prefer this. So it kind of perpetuates that um, learning styles myth. But ultimately I keep coming back to um, the universal design for learning. I don't know if that's a thing so much with adult learning, but it was definitely with um, student, with kids. And just that idea of having multiple modes of representation, which again is exactly what Dan was just talking about. Like having, when you're presenting information, do you have visuals that help um, reinforce the concept? And are things explained, you know, clearly in the language, but also maybe there are um, audio version, you know, having just that, mix so it's it's not so much about matching someone's learning style it's that if you hear something read something watch something and see a visual of something you're probably going to learn it better <laughs> right than just one of those um yeah so i think it's kind of all of those things put together that's what keeps whirling around in my head right now i was gonna say you mentioned like in the classroom you know while i was doing a little bit of research <clears throat> over over half of the the states in the nation right now have curriculum design like concerns around like making sure they engage different learning styles so it's one of those things that's just like as i read <clears throat> and definitely not 
being a proponent, I was just like, oh, like how can this be so persistent? And now I think I think you explained it really well. Just like, hey, by the time you've read this four different ways, you've probably picked it up. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I totally agree. For me, I have to always start with who my audience is, and I have to keep in mind um, what they know and what they don't know, and kind of begin there and have a clear understanding, you know, from a design perspective, what my objective is, and then apply it to my audience. Um, one of the things that I discovered in my research was this little article by a gentleman named John Elkington, and he talks about the learning process, which I thought was, first of all, it was a really short and sweet uh, discussion around the learning process, so it kind of fits really well for radio, uh, but it really kind of touches on some things that I think we're going to need to talk about. And he goes on to say, the learning process in a nutshell, are you ready? Attention makes us receptive to information, which we process together with prior knowledge until we arrive at conclusions and understanding, which we then apply and test for confirmation, which I really love because I think it's a nice little encapsulated version of what I think as designers and learning professionals we need to keep in mind, right? So it has to be engaging, right? So if, I, if it's boring as all get out, you're done, right? Um, prior knowledge is key. If that prior knowledge isn't there, we need to instill that everybody has a shared sense of what that knowledge is and what's important, right? Cool. And then um, arrive at some conclusions through understanding, and there's different ways to do that. We'll talk about that. And then you've got this whole idea of application and retention, right? So whether that's a quiz or asking them to do something to be able to be able to say at the end of the day that we did our part to ensure that learning happened and here's our proof of that. What do you guys think of that? I like that as kind of a summary of the learning process. <laughs> like as you were reading those different, I don't want to say steps, but you know, just that process. I was thinking, yeah, that's kind of the process we go through, hopefully, as we're thinking through, okay, if we need to design this learning process or this learning experience, like what does my audience know? Who, who is my audience? What do they know? What don't they know? Um, how am I going to find that out? Because sometimes you may know, sometimes you may not. Um, and then, you know, and, and I keep coming back to what Dan started with that whole idea of if it's engaging, it's probably, you know, you're probably going to learn more, which is basically what you just read. Also that attention piece, if it's engaging, you're paying attention, more likely to learn if you're paying attention, you know, um, it's when it gets boring. I'm thinking of so many college classes that I did not retain anything from because it was just a lecture. And I was like either reading a book secretly or <laughs> not paying any attention because it wasn't engaging. Um, and so I just, I like that. What you just read, that was a really nice, like kind of summary of the whole thing, I think. Dan, you know, you, oh, I was, I mean, a hundred percent like what Christy said. I mean, like just as you were talking through it, same thing, just like, yep, yep, yep. When everything's working, that's, that's what we should be doing. <laughs> but you know, I, Christy, you mentioned like college courses and just a hundred percent lecture base and like tuning it out and like picking up something else to do. Cause you know, you're not engaged and that's, you know, you mentioned the show your new your new role as a learning experience designer and that title is like starting to gain a lot of traction in our industry and i absolutely adore that i absolutely love the fact that we are talking about 
building experiences over <clears throat> just raw knowledge transfer. Because when you build experiences and you attach emotional weight to them, that's going to transfer knowledge way more effectively than, well, I talked at them for the last 60 minutes and I just don't know what's not working. Yep. I remember very little from college and that has a lot less to do with how much I consumed um, and then versus how, how well that information was, was delivered to me. But let's just be honest about that college experience, really. One of the, one of the things I think that as an audience we recognize and learn is how to pass our way through college and passing our way through college. And if you're out there and you're in the, you know, in the university system and whatnot, I, I say this with all the love, with all the people that I know, I, my role as an audience member is to identify what's important, memorize it and spit it back. The, the real process of learning in the, in the university system, as I experienced it was exactly that. And which meant that I could sit and just take good notes and write some flashcards and memorize those flashcards and show up at a test and do really, really well. Um, but without application, right? And I think that's what's missing. Without application, then um, that knowledge doesn't stick. And stickiness is really important from a learning perspective as well, right? Yes. Um, I had some conversations earlier this week with some people in our industry, and it was all about that. like hey, we're going to go ahead and design and deliver some learning and it's going to be fantastic. And I said, well, what's going to happen on the back end? How are we going to ensure that people are going to practice it? How are we going to ensure that, that it becomes relevant, right? Because if, if that doesn't happen, then we're going to get the same thing. We're going to go ahead and reload for the next time. So we have to be considering about that too, right? That application process from a learning perspective. I want to back up for just a minute. Krista, you talked about your experience with learning with kids in the teaching profession. Would you explain that process to us because i sometimes i feel like you know adults are just kids with mm -hmm. bigger bodies we really are right so i think that there's probably going to be some overlap what did you learn back then um i mean yeah it, i think ultimately it ends up being super similar the main difference is that like adults have sometimes different motivations and you're coming with different life experience that kind of thing um i guess what i learned is what i was saying earlier like the more I could give my students multiple means of representation of whatever I was presenting, um, especially because I may be teaching students who don't speak English or, you know, as a first language, um, students with uh, learning disabilities, just, you know, the whole range, all the way up to students who should be, you know, in AP classes or whatever. So it's kind of like, okay, how do I meet the needs of this extremely vast level, different levels of students? Um, but by providing things, what I did a lot of times, especially in more recent years, as technology was much more um, available, was provide things like, okay, here's what we're doing in class, but here is, you know, a video from YouTube that also explains this concept, just in case, like, for whatever reason, the way I explained it did not work. Here is a model. Here is, like, a sentence frame for you to practice with. Here is, you know, so as many different ways as I can give you this thing that you need. So you can see it, hear it, read it, watch it, try it, and then do it by yourself. Hopefully, by the end of all of those things, we'll be able to write an intro paragraph or whatever the case might be. Um, so, and, and again, that, you know, that carries over to adults too. I think a lot of times for us, it's, it's more time is, and not that time isn't an issue in the classroom as well, but 
you know, you, okay, we need a one hour training. You're like, okay, <laughs> well, <laughs> there's a lot to cover in that hour. So, <laughs> you know, what can, how can we do all of these things and make it stick um, with just this little bit of time? So that's where we, I think as learning designers have to get really creative. Yeah. You know, I love this idea of learning experience and development or learning experience design and yeah, it's hot. Right. But I, I think it's hot because it really kind of makes sense. Right. Um, especially where we're going. Um, what are the two you think about this idea of, you know, designing with experience in mind? Oh, I absolutely love it. Up, down, left and right. I think it's the best thing to happen. The best mode of thinking, the industry change for our industry that's come about. Like, uh, I think I've said this before. Whenever I was training new instructional designers, uh, one of the things I would suggest that they learn is or uh, read is The Hero's Journey by Joseph Campbell. Like, hey, you should go check out this book. It's kind of a slog in places, but it's really, really important and it'll change how you look at learning and development. And not everybody read it, but the, the few who did would come back and be like, well, first off, they'd be like, yeah, it does. It does. It's a slog in some places, <laughs> but like, you know, then they'd come back and be like, oh yeah, Hey, this really helps. Like, as I'm, I'm thinking about like a narrative structure for my learning, which seems like kind of a silly pompous thing to say, but it's so important. It's so important. People relate to stories. They relate to experiences. And if you give them stories worth relating to, They'll remember the pieces of that story that you want them to. Knowledge will transfer. Experiences will transfer. It's super, super effective. Um, you know, too many times in like learning development, like in corporate learning development, like they'll be like, okay, cool, make a scenario. And the scenario will like have no teeth. There's no failure. There's nothing bad. There's nothing, there's no journey because they, they don't want any of that bad stuff to be floating around. And so people read these little, stories and they roll their eyes and they go okay whatever and they disengage we're just like providing them more room to disengage and i've rambled on i'm gonna be quiet now sorry passion button <laughs> i love everything you just said i was getting really i don't know if you saw me over here like clapping but um the narrative piece is so huge and that's something i just learned in the last year i mean i think i knew it as a teacher i just hadn't really like um solidified the the thought about it, like how important it is to take learners from A to Z or wherever. There has to be that thread that connects it. And that's where that narrative construction comes in. And I've seen it. I've seen plenty of learning experiences where that narrative thread is not there. And it's so discombobulating. You're like, okay, here's a chunk of information and here's another one. And I have no idea how we got from here to here. I love the idea of reading the hero's journey for that. Like now my brain's just kind of going crazy. But um, another part about that experience thing is that I think it, it gets a little dicey. I think it's super important and it's obviously like probably one of the best ways we, we can learn. And two things about that. One, the problem is making the experience realistic. Like you were saying, some of the scenarios, you know, you read that and you're like, well, this would never happen. And so that's not helpful to me at all. Um, or sometimes, yeah. you know, and this brings me back to college too, where you're, they're trying to make it like a real experience, but it's not authentic in any way. So you're like, so I'm just making this fake podcast for you that no one's going to listen yeah. to. Okay. But why, you know, um, 
And so I yeah. think it's, it's, it's that case of like experiences are important, but how can we make them authentic? Which then leads me to think, how can we better embed or, or intertwine learning with actual work experience? You know, like how can we, instead of having a standalone training over here, and then I go back to my job and I try to figure out how that standalone training connected, how can we mesh them together better? I have no answer for that. That's just something that's kind of interesting to me because wouldn't it be nice to learn in the flow of your work so that it's, it's all experiential. <laughs> you know, I, I think for like me, one of the things that was most helpful, uh, you know, I got thrown into the world of making sales training definitely was not my strong suit. Definitely was not something where I was like, Oh yeah, I was made to do this. Um, but just, we talked about like the voice of our training and what we wanted our training to sound like and like how we wanted it to be delivered. And we started from that experience standpoint, like, okay, if you were to describe our training, what, what two adjectives would you use to describe it? And like, that was like a super important, like linchpin, like, okay, cool. To like help us like hone in on the, the experience we wanted to build over the training we wanted to build. And then once we knew, what our voice was, it was, okay, cool. Then in this voice, how do I, how do I transmit learning? How do I do knowledge transfer? And how do I share experiences that will like motivate and inspire people to like go do these things? And it, I, you know, I think it just starts from that, like that base, that bottom up thinking like, okay, cool. Tear away everything, get down to the basement. What do you want your training to sound like? And I don't think anybody's going to say, I hope it's really boring. And I hope it's really like professorial. I don't know if that's a word, but I'm going to run with it. And, but that's where like so much training ends up because building good learner experiences is tough. I think right now, the best learning experience designers, the best instructional designers are the guys writing the more, <clears throat> excuse me are the guys writing the Marvel movies because there's 10 years of movies and 10 years of stories and you have to carry them forward to every other movie. And if you forget stuff, you're going to be lost and you're just going to stop buying tickets. So not only have these people convinced a billion dollars worth of people over and over to buy tickets, but they have to carry these no this knowledge and these facts over and over from one movie to the next. Uh, that's an amazing load over what, like 10 years? Um, more than that. It was 11th to the end of yeah. uh, phase three. So, yeah, no, I think that that's interesting. Now you've nerded out on me. Don't even get me started. So here we go. Um, I, I Listen, let's carry this uh, out a little bit, right? So I I think that if we want to go ahead and process this out, we can begin to take, you know, that, that uh, you know, learning system and uh, and start to piece it out. Um, so the first thing I love this whole bottom approach, right? So, I can we agree that one of the places we should start is like, well, what do you want to accomplish? Like, we don't even get started unless you know what you accomplish. And I cannot tell you how many people come to me every day that have no idea what they want to accomplish. <laughs> Here, here's this deck. Clean it up. Holy smokes! Like, what what is this, right? And so, have you thought about what you want? No. 
And then um, well, all you get is garbage. Right? Let's make sure before any of the work starts that we have an understanding of what's going to be different. And we're going to sign up for that. Like, what's our return on expectations? What's our ROE when we're done with this? Like, what what is it that we can hold up and say, see, we did this thing and this is what we got. So I think there's the first part. And then if you work backwards from that, you know, there, well, what experience can we design where our learners get to participate in that experience, whether that's a, an assessment or um, a group discussion and presentation, which is still a very viable way to go ahead and get people to absorb what's going on, right? That'll deliver that ROE, deliver the return on expectation. And then the other two factors are going to be like, is it engaging and fun? And there's a whole lot of part we a whole lot of things we could put in there. And I might even tie into that not too long. Cause that's also something like, you know, our brain stops working at about 90 minutes. Like anytime you're going to go over 90 minutes, you give them a break, please, for God's sakes, give them a break. Um, but isn't engaging and fun. Is it something that I want to get into? And Christy talked about this as well, which is I've got to have a roadmap. So what's my with them? What's my, what's important for me? Can I start up? We have an episode earlier on folks about the VOR, V-O-A-A-R, which is all about this setting up our learners for success by telling them why it's important, what the objectives are, like what we're going to hold you accountable to, how we're going to go about this today, and then allowing them to participate and ask questions. So for me, a design perspective is that, like knowing my audience and understanding the objectives that I want to accomplish. How do I make it fun and engaging and have a real experience for them so that they can go ahead and absorb what's going on? And then, you know, ensuring that we're giving them this roadmap to success. Thoughts on that? I mean, you said right there at the beginning, like, hey, like, what do you want to accomplish? I think so much of modern learning and development is fact regurgitation. And so, like, when people are, like, coming in and they're either new to the industry or they're from outside the industry and they're just trying to build, like, a training experience, they're like, I threw all the facts on this page and they're not getting it for some reason. And it's not because, like, they're they're bad. It's just because, like, it, this is a tough industry with a lot of weird nuances and stuff like that. And their learning experience coming in was probably just fact regurgitation. Scott, you mentioned it in the beginning, like, hey, I got really good at taking notes and throwing facts back out when requested. And that's like, that's the bottom run of like, did I transfer knowledge? But it's the one that is easiest tested. But I'm going to say it's probably also the one that's least useful. <laughs> like, if all I if all I know is the facts, like, I can't synthesize. I can't do anything with that. I can tell you like all these dates and all these times and like, like all this other stuff. But if I can't do anything with it, if I don't know the whys behind it, if I don't know what the goal was, I'm just like, well, I said the thing. There we go. I think the why part of that stands out to me. Like even for myself as a learner, well, I'm a why person anyways. I always want to know why and what's the context of this? Why are you asking me to do this thing? What's not even just what's in it for me, but what is the point of it in general for everyone? Um, and I think in those kind of fact dump um, learning, I'm not even going to call it an experience, uh, just whatever those fact dumps are, um, there doesn't seem to be a why. Even when they say, we're telling you these things because it's important that you learn X, Y, Z. Okay. 
well, I can learn X, Y, Z, but, but why, for what, what's in it for me again? And what, what is the, the end goal? What do you want me to do with this? And if I'm not going to do anything with it today, then I'm probably going to forget it. Um, I'm going to take my little knowledge check and then I'm going to move on with my life and forget this training ever happened. So I think the why and keeping that in mind as designers, like, okay, what is the why? Who is my audience and why do they need to know this? And adults are, I mean, we want our time to be used wisely, right? Like not wasted. And so when you sit in those fact dump trainings, you're just like, seriously, I could have read an article about, or you could have sent me an email with this information. We didn't have to have an hour long training for you to just tell it to me. Um, And so there's that time wasting part too, where I'm like, if I'm not engaged and I don't know why you're telling me these things and what I need to do with it, then this is a waste of my time. And pretty much there's not much I less I like less than my time being wasted. So um, you don't like yeah. wasting time. Then why did you come on the show, Christy? Oh, oh, I'm oh. sorry. Oh. You know, coming from the call center industry, my test for if I if I built a good learning experience was did the did the agents on the phone agents want to get off the phone to take the training? I um, you know, taking calls is tough. I've done it. <clears throat> and so a lot of times any any break in the day to do anything else can be welcome but i have definitely seen trainings where like i've watched like call center reps just like click through the training as fast as they can so you can get back to taking calls that's a bad sign if a call center rep is like i'm just going to click this button and get through this training as fast as possible so i can get back to taking calls like you, you probably have not built a good experience <laughs> Yeah, if you'd rather talk to an angry customer than <laughs> take a training, then that's, yeah. that's not good. Yeah. Yeah, I think we've hit on something really important on the with them, right? On the why is it important to me? And, I, you know, we talked a little bit about um, this whole prior knowledge. And I think that's really kind of interesting because I think a lot of things that we train on or a lot of things that we build experiences around, like people do bring a lot of prior knowledge. And it's identifying, hey, what can I assume that my audience already knows and and apply it to what we're talking about right so if i think about some of the things that you know recently i've been putting together like what's the value of a photo storage app well the value of a photo storage app is everybody understands taking pictures everybody's taking pictures and everybody's lost pictures right so let's go ahead and we'll go ahead and tie our with them into ever lost a picture how bad does that suck right so you know understanding your audience and really trying to identify like prior knowledge and in and applying that in is cool um one of my tricks and we've talked about this before is like can i find a funny youtube video and the funnier the better but if it's relevant around prior knowledge and experience um we can begin to talk about that and then bring my audience in and one of the things that i think is really cool and um in the article from Don Eckleton, he talks about this idea of feelings because we have feelings and your audience, whether you want to believe it or not, is going to bring a big bag of feelings with them into our learning. (laughs) And we need to be aware of that. Now, whether or not we're uh, learning in an environment where everybody's just totally you know, spazzed out about whatever because, you know, things are spun up and a lot of anxiety. We live in a world of like that today, whether whether we're doing a great job in our learning or not. Like, how do we how do we go ahead and understand our audience there? But 
one of the things that's really awesome, we could design things from uh, learning experiences to understand like, how do I tap into that emotion? Because I'm going to tell you straight up, you go there and you hit on that emotional button, right? Um, you win. Uh, I had a mentor a long time ago, start them laughing, leave them crying. What do you mean by that? Let's start them engaging by having something fun. We get people involved. You hit them with the deep stuff at the end. You hit that emotional button. They're yours forever. And that's really, really positive, uh, powerful uh, knowledge transfer design experience that I've applied in a lot of what I do. Um, and I can't tell you, like, to be able to hit on that emotional end at the end, like, even if it's just tying back to their importance and role, right? So you've all experienced this training, but you're really important. And let me tell you why. Just incredibly powerful, right? So anyway, thoughts on that? That ties right back to the storytelling thing and the narrative that um, Dan talked about earlier. Like, that's why we read stories, because they elicit emotion. And so the more you can frame that story in such a way that you can at least attempt to elicit the emotions that you want connected with the learning experience, the more likely they are to carry that understanding away with them because that's how we remember things. We remember things in stories. That's how we tell people what we did this weekend and whatever. Um, and then we also connect things to emotions and the stronger the emotion, the more we remember it. Um, so, I mean, those two things, if you can tap into the power of those two, then like, like you said, you've got them. So that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. It's, yeah, I mean, it. I'm, I'm a huge proponent of storytelling and learning. Just, again, one of those passion button things. So I, I couldn't agree more. And building your narrative structure, even if you're a trainer, if you're a trainer and you're looking at material and you're like, man, how am I going to do this? Start thinking about what the journey is through the material for, for from your learners, for you, and what that sounds like. Where are your beats? Where are your inspirational moments? Where are your funny moments? Where are your serious moments? And start like constructing that experience. If you're an instructional designer, man, like it's easy to just like, I shouldn't say easy. It's easier to just like throw some facts, be like, here you go. Here's your learning objectives. Check, check, check. It's all done. Here you go. I've handed it off. Whether that's going to be a computer-based training or a training for your instructor, whatever that looks like, there you go. It's done. But if you're thinking about what the experience is like, by the time that gets in the hands of your learner or it gets in the hands of your instructor, it's going to be such a powerful experience that like, the people who are asking me to make this training, they're going to keep coming back to you. They're going to start coming to you for advice. Like, How do I train this? How do I do that? What does this sound like? Like it's mm, mm, so good. Just gonna be quiet now. <laughs> it may it, for some reason made me think about um, the commercial. <laughs> it's a little off topic, but thinking of stories, the commercials that stand out the most are the ones that, in their thirty to forty-five seconds or whatever they have, tell some sort of story, right? Like those are the, like the Budweiser puppies and stuff. You know, like those are the ones that you're like, oh precious they tell this little story they they elicited my emotions I'm, I'm never gonna forget that commercial um and so those examples of storytelling are all around us all the time from how we're getting sold to and um, from the way we communicate with each other so in a way it's kind of funny that sometimes we don't use those tactics like it make it's so logical to me like so logical and obvious that 
we should be using storytelling, even if we're not calling it storytelling and we don't have a character that does this thing, there's still that narrative where we have a beginning, middle and end. There's some sort of thread that carries through. You're listening those emotions. Like it just feels like a duh sort of thing. And I know, that, I mean, it's clearly not because it doesn't happen all the time um, in training. You know, like you said, there, there's just those fact dumps, which seem like they'd be really easy, but if it's boring to make, it's probably boring to sit through too. And, and creating just a PowerPoint of facts to tell people like, here are a bunch of random things you need to know that are apparently important. Um, That's boring. And it's going to really be crappy forever. Whoever has to sit through it. So that storytelling piece is it's interesting to create and write and develop. And so to me, that's kind of a sign that's going to be more interesting (laughs) to the audience, to the learners, I guess. You know, I I think it goes back to like, look, I was talking about this, like Thomas's email where he's like, hey, you know, like I've got a, uh, I'm teaching a bunch of engineers and I, I just, I think it's working, but I don't know. And I don't know how to tell if it's not. Uh, I I think that's, that's a, that's a, a message that resonates probably with a lot of instructional designers, both new and experienced because, you know, like. How am I supposed to make an interesting narrative out of like whatever like corporate policy has like come across my desk to build training for? Like, well, what is this supposed to sound like? And so we end up getting into a space, especially with time constraints, where somebody above us is just like, just check the box, just just make some training, just check the box, just at, put at the end of the training, I have read and understand this material, and let's move on. And I figure anytime you're telling somebody just check the box, or I have read and understand this material, just move on probably should just be a knowledge article. It probably shouldn't be a training. If it's not important enough for you to start thinking about like, how how do I deliver this? How do I retain it? How are they going to use it? Probably doesn't need to be a training. Uh, where I worked, I think one day we calculated that every hour of training was worth a fully loaded Lincoln Navigator. Like I think it was like $68,000, $70,000 for every hour of training. And so I used to tell like learning, like our, our learning project managers, like all of that, like, hey, real quick, before we get too far, is this training worth a fully loaded Lincoln Navigator? Because if it's not, let's talk about just writing an article or just putting out an email. So would you trade this training for a fully loaded Lincoln Navigator? Or as they teased, teasingly called it, Lincoln Navigator units. How many Lincoln Navigator units is this training worth? Was the joke I got thrown back in my face more than once. <laughs> So let's not write an end user license agreement kind of a training. So I don't kind of. Oh, you know, I, I I hear all those stories about like people who are like, oh, I read the full like end user license agreement, and it, it said the first person to read it, like we're going to give a thousand dollars to, and I'm like, man, that's like what a cool little hook. Also, I will still never read the full end user license agreement because nobody's got time for that, and I don't understand most of what it says. No, it's a check the box yeah. activity. It's a feel good activity. Um, and I, I think you're right. Like, you know, we've got always got to go back to, you know, what's going to be new or different when we're done. What kind of story can we tell when we're done? Like, you know what I'm saying? What can I point to from a return on, on expectations when we're done and say, look, see, this, this worked. And if I don't have that, then we'd have figured that out well before we get started. Otherwise, it, it's right. And it's a feel good activity. Um, feel good activities are okay. Um, I don't particularly enjoy doing a lot of feel good activities or not. 
um, it'll make me feel good. How's that? You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to have impact. Like, yeah. I want to have people like, well, what, listen, here's the best part. Everybody listening. All the, if you're in learning, like learning people are great people for the most part. Like, I, I don't know many people in learning that aren't just amazing people. Why? Because we want to have people impact, right? That's why we do what we do. So anytime I'm doing something and I know that's eh, not going to have impact, it's just such a sapping experience for me. And I'm like, I'm going to do it. It's my job. But, you know, think about how we can have better results next time, which kind of begs the question. I know people are listening going, could you give us some examples, right? So let's, let's talk about some examples, both from the story narrative perspective, but also from, say, an experience perspective. And I'll go ahead and start so you guys have an idea of what I'm looking for. Um, we were charged with um, getting people up to speed on the changing marketplace and how we could better, um, you know, deal with our largest competitor at the time. And we had this great learning built up with lots of PowerPoint slides and some discussions and whatnot. And then the, my boss at the time said, you know, we're going to we're going to just punt all of that. And I'm like, thanks for weeks of work. We're to punt all of that. But he was right. We're going to send everybody on a field trip. So we sent everybody in the in the class, because it was a half-day class, we could afford to do that. We sent everybody out to certain retail stores to kind of get a perspective on what they were doing right and where their opportunities were. And then they came back and gave a presentation on it, which was a thousand times better than anything that I could have presented. So if you can develop um, relevant Learning experience where the learning gets the learner gets immersed into something with a new set of eyes and comes back and gets to share out and that share out's really important, right? Because you can go ahead and that's when they internalize it. Um, really great example of of an experience. So, Christy, how about you? Either from the story narrative or from a um, uh, from an experience uh, perspective, an example you can go ahead and leave leave with our listeners. Um, so I'm thinking of an e-learning I created last year. And in my previous job, I worked, um, we were creating most of our training for teachers. So, um, but I, this still applies. So in the e-learning, it was about basically being more efficient and using Google to like make your life easier as a teacher, which every teacher can relate to. Um, so I created two characters. One was kind of a new ish teacher and one was a more experienced teacher. And we followed them through the whole course which is, I mean, that's nothing new, but, but creating those characters that were super relatable and the problems they had were super relatable. Like, oh my gosh, I have 47 new emails since this morning, but I also have to grade these papers and I don't know how to do all of these things. Um, and so the, the kind of mentor teacher would come in and say, oh, here are three tools. Here's how to use them. Here's an example of what it looks like when you use them. And then the new teacher or the newer teacher, we would kind of see how her day changed throughout the course. So, um, you know, that storytelling element, it was just in little bits and pieces because it was really a tool base. Like here are all these apps and tools you could use to make your life easier. Um, but, but seeing it in sort of the context of a school day was kind of more helpful, I think. Um, that's just the first one that came off my head. But, you know, the more we can create those like relatable situations that, that the learner goes, oh yeah, that's what... <laughs> what my calendar looks like, or that's what, you know, I've had a similar experience. So now I can see how to take what I'm learning and put it into that similar experience. Then that's where sometimes I think that storytelling, in addition to the things we talked about earlier, um, can be helpful. Uh, you know, I think for me, uh, when I was a trainer, I was doing call center work. Um, 
one very early on i figured out that like if i didn't have a story for each of the rules or policies that i was in charge of transferring that there was no way they were going to hold on to them and so i spent a lot of time like reaching out to people and being like hey i'm super curious about this rule or this policy can you tell me like why it is and you know like i would i usually get like the factual answers back like a b and c but sometimes like i would get like the story like hey well actually this rule exists because this one time somebody did this um and i would always this is this doesn't sound terrible but i would always take uh great joy in looking at my classes and being like all right guys i'm gonna tell you why this rule exists but let's just keep it here and just basically treating it like pure gossip and i knew <laughs> as soon as i did that 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 rule was set, that they would remember that policy or that rule forever because there was a story, a narrative, a sense of like, oh, this is forbidden secret knowledge or knowledge that is like not supposed to be had. And so I have to hold it. I have to maintain it. And like, I'd be like, cool, they, go, they know it. It's good to go. And I mean, not everything is going to be hot, juicy gossip uh, for call center policies and procedures or any policies and procedures but building that sense of like why why this knowledge is important and letting people like know that like there are the why Chrissy talked about the why as soon as you can work that why into the narrative structure this is why this rule exists this is what happened when before this rule came to be and look at this terrible thing we've built a fable you've said okay like there was peace in the valley and then this bad thing happened and then our hero had to decide this is what i'm gonna do and then peace was restored and that's that's super oversimplification but like that's pretty much the element but you do have to start with the bad and that's the thing so many people are afraid of oh don't talk about the bad don't talk about the bad because then they might think about doing it like no that's such a that's such a silly thing to worry about if i tell them the bad they'll do it like no, like I'm literally telling them the bad and then we're talking about the rules. So we're talking about the consequences of what happened when somebody did the bad. They need to know the bad or else they're not going to know why. And then guess what? They're going to do it anyway because they don't know why. That We're working on a project right now and we're writing scenarios. Um, and then Smeeze came in to, to read through the scenarios and Smeeze who are in the position that the people taking the training are going to be in or are in. And they were like, these are, nothing bad is happening here. <laughs> like, we need to see, you know, where are the, the consequences of this? It can't all be decent choices. There needs to be like, no, this is a bad choice. Don't do this one. Um, you know, this is an okay choice. This is the right choice. Because at first it was kind of like, here's a good choice. Here's a decent choice. Here's an okay choice. No, like this choice sucks. Don't do that. That's a bad decision. Um, and so it's kind of like, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> that makes sense. Our, you know, our sponsors hate that. They just totally hate that. Like, what? Oh, oh, don't show them what bad looks like. Cause then you're right. Then they'll do it. And I'm like, people are not stupid. Do you know what I'm saying? And then we talk about prior knowledge again. Some of those people are doing it. Some, a lot of them are like a lot of them are doing it wrong. And so you go, oh, here's a bad example. Nothing resonates better with an audience member. Like, here's a bad example. And they see themselves in that example and go, oh, oh my God, that's me. I'm doing that. 
And then all those feelings come up like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And, you know, this idea that, oh, you can't show them what bad looks like because they'll do it is just nonsense. Like, do it. And oh, by the way, some of the best bad examples are wicked funny and entertaining, right? This is really funny. Um, I'm doing it and I'm dumb and I shouldn't do it, but it's really funny. And so, um, by all means, anytime you get that pushback, like challenge them, like, hey, listen, we're going to show them what good looks like, too. So don't worry about it. We we need to we need to engage our audience. We need to pull on prior experience. We're going to show them what bad looks like. A lot of people are going to go, oh, my gosh, um, you know, it, it is what it is. So we need to be getting uh, to wrap this up. But I really appreciate the conversation. Um, any last final thoughts that we didn't get to talk about that we feel that we should. I'll start with you, Christine. Any other final thoughts that you think you want to bring up on this? Um, no, I just keep, you know, coming back to all the things kind of we talked about. I feel like we can make a list. What is the why? How can we work in a narrative? What is the experience? How are we going to elicit emotions? Like if we can keep those things in our mind, how can we, you know, provide different representations of this information to keep it engaging? But also, again, because if you see it, hear it, look at it, watch it, probably going to learn it eventually. Um, also though, coming back to experience, the more we can have our learner, like you, Scott mentioned that um, they went on an experience and then came back and presented about it. The more our learners could have to turn that knowledge around to other people, you know, that's the number one way to learn things by teaching it. So how can we work in those experiences? That's probably a whole other conversation, but that just popped in my head. So. Yeah. You know, I would, uh, I would talk to the audience at large and to Thomas who wrote us, you know, your, your emails about how do I know if I'm, I'm making good training? How do I know if my training's landing and hitting? And I, I think we, we hit on a lot of those. Like one, know the objective of the training. Know, know what the goal is. At the end of this training, people should be able to do blah. Know why. If you if somebody's giving you a task or if you're you're just teaching stuff and there's no why just other than knowledge transfer, don't do it. <laughs> or or make it an article or check that box in an easier way. Uh, and lastly, like know the voice of the people who you're training. Like are visual learners, oral learners, and all that all those other types of learners real? Probably not. But if you can talk to your learners like they talk to each other, that is their learning style. And you'll connect with them in a much deeper and more meaningful way. Great stuff, everybody. Thank you, Thomas. Thanks for emailing us again, folks. If you have a question, comment, concern, or you want to join in on the discussion, uh, you can go ahead and email us. Um, and I'm going I'm to let my good friend Daniel tell us how our audience can go ahead and do just that and other ways that they can connect with us. So Dan. Absolutely. Thanks, Scott. Thomas, thank you for emailing us. For all of you guys who haven't emailed us yet, you guys can find us learningnerdscast at gmail.com. We want your questions. We will talk about them just like we did today. We might even reach out and see if you can come on the show. If you're on Facebook, you can find us at Learning Nerds. And lastly, for all of our Instagram peeps, Fab Learning Nerds. Scott. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Christy, for dropping the knowledge with us. We greatly appreciate you 
thank you. Folks, if you do me a favor, hit that subscribe button, share this uh, episode and our podcast with your friends. We greatly appreciate it. If you're listening to us off iTunes or Stitcher or some other podcatcher, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear how we're doing. We'd love to be able to um, get your opinions so we can get more of us out to you. And with that, I'm Scott. I'm Dan. I'm Christy. And we're your fabulous learning nerds, and we are out. We'll be right back.